Good evening. Ho, ho, ho. Can you all say hung sure? Sounds like sure to be hung. No, that's, but it's Mandarin, so there's no, no connection there. Hung is in Chinese means constant, always. Shi means real, kind of substantial. So that name comes to me as an injunction because I was, before I was a monk, I was in theater. And the quality of theater is determined by how well you can cast that illusion. Anything but shi, it's, it's, you know, you get points for being phony. So, uh, so my teacher in religion, Master Shenhua, the founder of this monastery, said, if you're going to really cultivate the way, you have to be true within true. You've got to be sure, so constantly real. I've been a monk now for my 33rd year, 33 years in robes. So, um, this is when James said, uh, you know, we are going to go ahead with with Christmas Day and New Year's Day, and it's the Thursday night falls on those nights. He said, would you want to come? And thought about it about, about seven seconds and said, sure. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good, since I only have to come downstairs to actually teach. So it's really different than driving to San Jose. Or, um, this is the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery, and uh, we've been here since 1995. And this has actually been sacred space since 1898. This is the former Church of the Nazarene, their headquarters across the Mississippi. And this place came with its own full body immersion baptismal font, which is back there in that nook. And we uh, roofed it over and made it our our, uh, memorial hall for Master Shenhua. the Nazarenes um, aged. They just got too old. And no young folks were coming. And when they were down to about 60 in the whole parish, in the whole community, they said, maybe we'll, we'll take the Buddhists' money because it's as green as anybody's. And there was a question about that, whether they really wanted to sell to the Buddhists. You know. But there was an interim group that was here. They had leased it out to the Set Free Christian Fellowship and they were doing Jesus rap on the stage. The stage was full of drum sets and large amplifiers and dum, 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 like that. And they said, well, the Buddhists, you know, they're just as noisy as anybody. And we said, no, 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 no. actually, we're not. We're pretty quiet. We, we sit a lot. So they said, well, OK, maybe if you're quiet. So we, we got points for our quietness. So that's how we came here in 95. And it's very nice to be just continue the tradition of stillness that has been here because people all say that this hall is very, very quiet in downtown Berkeley. So uh, we were blessed to have the Nazarenes here before us and hope that we can just kind of graft on to the foundation of, of spirituality and, and sincerity that has been here for a century. If you go over to the Bancroft Library on the Cal campus and dig up those old pictures of Berkeley at the turn of the century, this church is there. It's one of the earliest wooden structures in Berkeley on the flats. These are sloped, but it's flats. This part of the property is higher by about six inches than that part of the property. And one of the Berry Creeks goes right past us. Of course, it's culverted over, but... Um, if you look at the watershed, anybody know about that? Look at the watershed on these hills. It's incredible. There's strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, huckleberry, and something other berry creek all coming down from from Grizzly Peak. And uh, it's uh, there were, in fact, uh, grizzly bears pulling salmon out of Strawberry Creek on what is now the Cal Campus just uh, 150 years ago. So this is the humans are the last ones to come here. We are little settled here, and for thousands of years, they were red. The white folks, the pasty faces, are the last ones to come. The oatmeal complexion types are the just, just the most recent. So it's good to connect with the watershed and with the kind of the the roots. Anyway, um, tonight, what I thought would be interesting to talk about, since it's the holiday giving season, 
um, is the uh, Buddhist tradition of giving. My tradition is called the Mahayana through China. And uh, we are very good neighbors with the Theravada, which is the uh, kind of the parent tradition of Spirit Rock and, and the American Vipassana movement, the worldwide Vipassana movement, through our connection with Ajahn Sumedho um, and his monks and do a little bit of advertising. They will be here the first Tuesday. Is that right? Are they, they're not in winter retreat yet, are they? They have started. They will by then. Somebody will be coming. Okay. First Tuesday of every month, uh, the monks from Abayagiri Forest Monastery come down and do do make time if you if you have it, because uh, their tradition is deeply rooted in the Vinaya. It's it has its roots back to the historical Buddha. And the monks are uh, very much alive in that tradition. Lovely connection between them and us. So that's coming up. Um, one of the things that one of the things that um, people encounter once they go beyond meditation um, is uh, an injunction. Is a kind of a teaching that's said to be the verse spoken by the seven Buddhas of antiquity. So our historical Buddha is Shakyamuni, right? That's the, the Buddha who actually, that's Siddhartha, Gautama, and who then became Shakyamuni Buddha. And before him, it's said, in the historical memory of our planet, there are six more Buddhas. The Buddhist cosmology is takes a long look. The planet comes into being and decays and goes void and comes back. But in that process, there have been seven Buddhas. And Shakyamuni is, I mean, there have been thousands, but in there have been seven who have a connection. And every one of those Buddhas, it says, leaves a verse behind. And it's always the same verse, interestingly enough. In the Chinese, they say, Zhu e mo zuo, zhong shan feng xing, zi jing qi yi shi zhu fo jiao. Do no evil, but practice good deeds. Purify your mind. This is what all Buddhas teach. So three injunctions. Do no evil. Avoid evil doing. And it's really specific um, what the evil what evil deeds are. And in Buddhism that's that's not a pejorative. That's not a politically correct, you know, small e evil. They do talk about good and evil with a capital E and capital G. Do no evil deeds. Do good instead. Maximize your opportunity for increasing wholesome energy on the planet and purify your mind. That's what the Buddhists teach. So this is that verse that keeps coming back and they just pound it. Every Buddha pounds that in. And it sounds so simple. But in fact, um, if you can put it into practice every single day, things change. Your life gets a certain uh, elevation. Just the most mundane deeds can take on a certain noble quality and make you feel good to boot every day by avoiding evil, doing good, and working on your thoughts, paying attention to what's going on in your mind. So in the interest of doing the good part, I thought this is a good day to, to talk about that, a good evening to talk about that. Um, and like the Magliazzi brothers do on Car Talk, you know, and, you know, how they do that. We're brought to you by, and, can I pass these out to, these are, this is Master Dashing, by the way, who is also uh, Mahayana Bhikshu from Italy. So if anybody speaks Italian, this is your chance to hear the Dharma in Italian, because he will definitely be happy to uh, talk that. Italian Dharma. Um, what I'm handing you, what I'd like you to take back, are a couple URLs. And this is the shameless advertising department. Because the first one, called Acts of Kindness, is a website that I administer and provide the content for. What is it? It's a chance to do good deeds. And the way it works 
is um, it's based on a music CD, a music project that I put together. The heart of it is called American Buddhist Folk Songs. And you'll notice that I've got a couple guitars up here. And this, the inspiration for finally picking up guitars after 25 years of not touching guitars was James Barris. He is directly responsible for rekindling my interest in acoustic music. And monks pretty much don't in Asia. I mean, really don't in Asia. It's really not okay to touch musical instruments other than this incredible array of percussion musical instruments that bells and fish and gong and pancake and, you know, hanging bells and hanging drums and wooden fish. These are not considered taboo musical instruments, but these kind are not, uh, they're what monks are not supposed to play because usually these involve uh, dancing. Music, by and large, was either sacred for ceremonies or it was to, to bond men and women together, which is that's a really good thing for music to do. It does it really well. So if you become a monastic, the idea is that that's, that's something you've already resolved. That's something you've, you've been willing to step away from. So um, for an American monk who grew up with these kind of instruments uh, being simply tools for backing mostly ballads or blues or stories, it's, it's a different kind of thing. So I saw James on his 50th birthday. Was anybody here for that evening? James's 50th. And he had, yeah, and he had his old battered Gibson guitar here because he too was a folky back when. And we're both aging boomers. We're, we're early boomers. And he played uh, Teach Your Children Well. And by golly, everybody in the room sang along with it, knew it. And I thought, now that's a useful expedient means. That is an upaya that really works for us, for us Americans. So that was uh, years ago. James has already passed, I think, 60, right? So that was a decade ago. Since then, I've been going back into music. So I put together that CD called American Buddhist Folk Songs. And um, one of my good friends, a man named Nipun Mehta, who is... Uh, a uh, very much into gift economy, kind of a pioneer and a spokesperson for gift economy, said, you're going to give it away, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I guess so. I mean, what's a monk going to do making money with music? That's not right. So we, you know, sat down. I don't have a bank account, checking account, savings account, credit card. I don't. So uh, no PayPal account, um, virtual money, I don't have either. So we sat down and thought about it. What are we going to do? So we came up with this idea. Call it good karma music. That is to say, um, remember how Coldplay uh, two years ago did a um, whatever it's worth music sale? Their album came out. Radiohead, Radiohead said, you know, pay what it's worth. And it was a loss leader, some people said. The cynics said it's really a loss leader. They want you to buy their, you know, what is it, $20 compendium. But they'll sell you this one for a penny if you want to pay a penny. Not a bad idea. This is really for free. And mine came out at the same time, so it wasn't a copy. But in fact, it's not for free at all because we require you to do a good deed. If you will do an act of kindness as you define it, whatever you call it, and folks do indeed help old ladies across the street or old men across the street, you define the good deed and then go to dharmatreasure.org forward slash paramita and tell us the story. Tell us what you did. Type it in. Today I helped an old lady across the street, helped an old man across the street. Click Submit. And we send you an archive with all 15 MP3s compressed down tidily so it doesn't take forever to download. And you can mash them, you can dice them, you can send them around, cover them, whatever you like. That's the idea. So it's called Acts of Kindness. You go to the, first of all, you go to dharmaradio.org and click on Paramita and you see four tabs. And the third tab says Acts of Kindness. 
you click on the Acts of Kindness tab, do a good deed, tell this type of story in, long or short, submit it, and we send you the music. The fun part is, just below that is a link that says, read all the stories submitted so far. And we got 220, and they come from all over the world now. Not no exaggeration. They come in Vietnamese. They come in Chinese characters. They come from Poland. They come from Lithuania. They come from Saratoga, Santa Clara, San Jose. And I brought some. This is from John from Cupertino. It's called Kisses to My Family. I woke up at three this morning to do my homework. He doesn't say what he's studying. I realized I was missing something important in my life. I went into my bedroom and kissed my spouse repeatedly and gently on her cheek and held her and slept with her for a few minutes. I saw her sleeping comfortably and left. I went to my children's bedroom and kissed them and held them for a few minutes and then left them. A few hours earlier, I had thought my life was not worth going forward. But I realize now I need to keep going for my family. This is my obligation and my gift to take care of them with my love and work, to provide for their needs and be a good parent and husband and a positive force in the universe. In the quiet of the night, I realize what is more important. We'll send him some music for that one. Yes, yes, music, yes, yes. Uh, the sophomore from Archie, USA. Doesn't say where, what state. This isn't a story so much about my own act of kindness as it is about a group of boys who made a difference. I'm an English teacher at a small school in rural Missouri. Though teaching is my first love, I'm also the assistant high school football coach. Last year, during the first day of football practice, we had a small, quiet sophomore boy come out for football, who'd never played an organized sport before. I taught this boy in my English class the year before. He was a delight to have in the class, inquisitive and knowledgeable about a wide range of subjects. His years of inactivity had not prepared him for the pace of even our warm-up drills. However, he told me during his first, the first water, water break that he wanted to quit. I told him I'd make a deal with him. If he could make it through one practice, I would make sure that no one on the football team would ever say a word to him about quitting. He didn't want to, but he said, I'll try, coach. He made it through the rest of the drills that morning until we started on our conditioning sprints at the end of practice. We used to call them wind sprints. right? After the first one, he fell down and was sobbing that he couldn't do any more. I went over to him and told him I would run them with him. And he said, okay. We ran six or seven more together. Then something happened that changed this boy's life. His teammates, who'd finished already, got around him and ran the last three with him, encouraging him. When they were done, the team captain said to all the players, when one of us needs help, we all step in and help. You're on the team. You're one of us. The little sophomore came back that night and finished the year. Yes? Yep, music. Send him some CDs. One more. Being present, being open. Living in New York City. This is from Jason from Brooklyn. Living in New York City, I myself start living in my own world, as many, as my neighbor, as many of my neighbors do. Off to work, to lunch, to dinner, to somewhere, and normally not stopping in between. Not being available to others as I'm either listening to music or eyes only looking at my path. Most of the time I'm on the run. I'm not present for others or really even for myself. As there are angels in the world, one has to have his or her eyes open to see them. My act of kindness was smiling at a person who I didn't know was lost until she told me and felt able to approach me. I was able to give directions, but her warm and welcoming smile back was such a gift to me as it brought warmness and happiness into my journey. I know it's small, but it was really so big. 
Now I try to be present while living in this big, amazing city. There you go. Try it on the Bart. Risky. So that's Acts of Kindness. Check it out. Um, read, read on down. They're really accessible. Um, one for, from Christmas, from Poland. Um, woman wrote, um, ever since my parents split up, um, we've mostly done Christmas with Dad, she said. Um, I called my mom on an impulse on the 23rd of December. And she answered, which surprised me because she rarely answers. And I asked her how she was doing and she was sobbing. I asked her why she was crying. And she said, she's sitting there with the lights out. Why? I asked her. She said, because I don't want the neighbors to know that I'm passing Christmas alone. So I turned the lights out. The woman wrote and said, well, I called dad and my siblings and said, you're on your own this Christmas. I'm going to be with mom. And we went and we made cookies and we made a cake and we knit. And it was the best Christmas I've had in years. Mom was really happy. And she said, P.S. The funny thing was she never turns her cell phone on, but she turned it on for half an hour. And that was when I called. So, yes, send her music. Yeah. I thought so. So that's acts of kindness. Do check those out, please. And encourage your teenagers to, to do it because the, the music's okay. And the kind of giving is great. Way better than okay. Okay, down below, number two, check that slip. Daily, daily good. That is a website. I'm going to sneeze again. Excuse me. Has anybody discovered Karma Kitchen, the restaurant on Sundays? No. Okay. Daily Good is good. It's a good news clipping service that if you put your email address into the simple slot, um, they are very good, very cautious, and will take good care of your email address, and they will deliver to you a good news story every day. Um, they clip them from papers around the world and from blogs and from Christian Science Monitor and from different, you know, from India, from all over. And the stories are super fine, powerfully good stories. Um, they also ha have started on YouTube something called Karma Tube, which is good, good news videos. And the good news videos are... Knock your socks off. They're really fine. Um, I have a couple of... I've been clipping. Uh, I've been reading. It's called Daily Good. The, the one that comes to your mailbox every day is called Daily Good. And I've been clipping these for three years. And I have uh, more than 400 stories in my, my Macintosh's box called Daily Good, uh, which I use for Dharma talks all the time. If you give sermons, if you're talking to kids or to elders, if you teach, if you just want to warm up your morning, start collecting the daily good stories. They're incredible. Um, story written by Nancy Gavin. It's actually a, a uh, it's a personal article that she published about her husband who passed away, the man who hated Christmas. She says, uh, our Christmas tree has always had one small white envelope. No name, no identification, no inscription. It's just peeking out through the branches of the tree and has been for the last 10 years. It all began because my husband, Mike, hated Christmas. Not the meaning of Christmas, but what Christmas had become. He hated the commercialism. The frantic running around at the last minute to get a present you didn't really care for just because you had to get a present for a grandma or for an aunt. You couldn't think of anything else. Knowing that he felt that way, says Nancy, I decided to bypass the usual shirts and sweaters and ties and so forth. And I wanted something special just for him. The inspiration came in an unusual way. 
Our son Kevin, who was 12 that year, was wrestling at the junior level at the school he attended. And shortly before Christmas, they scheduled a non-league match with an inner city church's wrestling team. This is a town where wrestling was big. Uh, the youngsters were dressed in sneakers so ragged that the shoestrings, the laces, seemed to be the only thing holding them on. And they presented a sharp contrast to our boys who were snazzy in spiffy blue and gold uniforms and sparkling new wrestling shoes. As the match began, I was alarmed to see that the, the church team didn't even have headgear to protect their ears. It was a luxury that the ragtag team could not afford. So, she says, we wound up walloping the wrestlers. We took every weight class. And as their boys got up from the mat, each one kind of swaggered just to put on some false bravado, kind of pride that wouldn't acknowledge defeat. But clearly they were outclassed. Mike, who was seated beside me, shook his head sadly. He said, I just wish one of them could have won, he said. They have a lot of potential, but losing like this could take the heart right out of them. Mike loved kids, all kids, and he knew them because he coached Little League football, baseball, and lacrosse. That's where the idea for the present came. That afternoon, I went to a local sporting goods store and bought an assortment of wrestling headgear and shoes and sent them anonymously to the inner city church. Uh, on Christmas Eve, I put an envelope on the tree with a note inside telling Mike what I had done and that this was his gift from me. His smile was the brightest thing about Christmas that year and in succeeding years. For each Christmas, I followed the tradition, one year sending a group of mentally handicapped youngsters to a hockey game. Another year, I sent a check to a pair of elderly brothers whose home had just burned to the ground the night before Christmas and so on. The envelope became the highlight of our Christmas. It was always the last thing opened on Christmas morning, and our children, ignoring their new toys, would stand with wide-eyed anticipation as Dad lifted the envelopes from the tree to share the contents. As the children grew, the toys gave way to more practical presents, but the envelope never lost its appeal. And the story doesn't end there, she says. Mike died last year to cancer. When Christmas rolled around, I was so wrapped up in grief that I could barely get the tree up. But Christmas Eve found me placing an envelope on the tree, and in the morning, it was joined by three more envelopes. Each of our children, unbeknownst to the others, had placed an envelope on the tree for their dad. The tradition has grown and someday will expand to further include our grandchildren, who will stand high to take down the envelope. So this is, the story is called, For the Man Who Hated Christmas. So that's on the Daily Good website, and that comes right to your email box. So I recommend that one. Check that out. It's, that's worthwhile. So in terms of giving, do no evil. Do good deeds. Purify your mind. This is what Buddhists teach. Um, traditionally, there are said to be um, three kinds of giving. There's the giving of material or wealth. There's the giving of courage, fearlessness. And then there's the giving of dharma. They say the giving of dharma is the highest kind of giving in that it goes, it lasts longest and goes deepest. Um, even though it's immaterial. It's not a thing. So, I wanted to tell a story. I've been doing a lot of uh, musical storytelling these days. Oh, by the way, special for tonight. That square cushion is called a Zabaton. Okay, the round one's called a Zafu, if, if you do the Japanese version. So the Zabuton, O Tanambam, O Tanambam, it's become O Zabuton, O Zabuton. O Zabuton, O Zabuton, 
Thy kindness is substantial. I sit upon thee night and day with folded legs and ankles. Thy kapok saves my knees from pain. Through hot and cold you don't complain. O Zabuton, O Zabuton, Compassion's insulation. You heard it here first. <laughs> and maybe last. Ready? Silent mind. Holy mind, all is calm, all is bright, deep vipassana, thoughts rise and fall, with clear insight detached from them all. Sit in heavenly peace, sit and contemplate. And so forth and so forth. We, we could use a couple more verses. The original had three verses. Uh, let's see here. Here we come to meditate among tea leaves so green. We drink a lot. Here we come to meditate so fair to be seen. Peace and joy come to you. Please perfect your wisdom too. May the Buddhas bestow on you a happy new year. May they send you a happy new year. I'll be done soon. Just <laughs> bear with me here. Okay. More of those. Okay. Uh, never mind. All right. So, let's see, in terms of the giving of Dharma, um, the Buddha is a um, social reformer of the highest kind. People are aware of the caste system in India, and it's pretty much back then inviolable. If you were a shudra, an untouchable, your shadow was not allowed to touch the body of a of an upper caste person, much less your hands or your words. Um, if your shadow, that's why they had to ring a bell as they came along the street. So their shadow, people would hear it and would avoid having the shadow of an untouchable. That's um, pretty serious bias prejudice among humanity and it has its historical roots but um, the Buddha Dharma has created a world where uh, untouchables now called Harijans have become uh, have actually set the caste um, stricture aside um, Ambedkar is the one who made all these Buddhists uh, a great social hero. The Buddha gave him his precedent because the Buddha ordained anybody as long as they had sincerity. And in so doing, he turned the caste system on its head. Uh, he didn't care. So there's a collection of Buddhist poetry called the Terigata and the Teragata, the songs of the earliest Buddhist nuns, the songs of the earliest Buddhist monks. It's ex really, really powerful. There's about five or six English translations out there. And these are pretty authentically, the, the text, the lit crit folks say that these are authentically traceable back to the, these, this is one of the earliest strains of mm, poetic expression. They're mostly autobiographical, talking about how they woke up, men and women, the earliest Buddhist monks and nuns. So these are 2,500-year-old testimonies to people who uh, use the Dharma to leave 
their first definition of who they were, social, economic, gender, age, etc. Incredibly powerful. There's about uh, 40 teragata. Mm, I'm sorry. There's about 70 monks' poems and about 30 extant women's, nuns' poetry. Really powerful to read the songs of the earliest Buddhist women. So here's um, one by a man called Sunita who was an untouchable. And he starts out, let me tell you the story and then sing the song, how it goes. He says um, he was born poor in a lowly family. Father disappeared. There was little to eat. These are these autobiographical poems are so nitty gritty. Father ran away. He's gone there. He starved mostly Sunita himself. Um, his work was degrading. He would gather withered flowers from all the shrines and peel away the, the old ones and take the ones that were savable and sell them for a little money so he could eat. People found him disgusting and they despised him. But he had a practice, which was he bowed. He made prostrations to the shrines he went to. And although he says the disdain from ordinary people hurt more than the hunger, he just, he says, buried my heart and I bowed every day. So he kept this spiritual practice. He had what's called roots of goodness, wholesome roots. So the next scene of the, this, this story, the Terigata has one, two, three, four, five verses in it. And each one is a different scene. The second scene happens where he's walking through the city and the Buddha shows up. And the Buddha is leading a line of monks. They're out for their alms rounds. And the Buddha is the great hero of the Magadan tribe. He's from Magadha. And he's the conqueror of Mara. You know, the Buddha is a big deal among the religious leaders in the city. But Sunita, the untouchable, has this impulse. So he goes up to the Buddha and puts his palms together and offers to pay respects. Now, that would be an occasion to be trampled, mostly, or at least beaten, you know, or spat on and cursed. So what does the Buddha do as the untouchable comes up and sets down his poles and basket and puts his palms together to offer pay respects? The Buddha stops the line to receive the bows of the, the flower seller. And while he's bowing to the Buddha, Sunita, on inspiration, says, could I take refuge and leave home with you? Could I become a monk? And the Buddha on the spot goes, ehi bhikkhu, come bhikkhu. And that's the ordination. So he picks him up on the spot, puts him in the, into the sangha, Next scene, Sunita's out in the mountains. He's an ascetic practitioner. Because the Buddha gave him this chance and taught him how to practice, he's applying himself, he says, with diligence by night and by day. And his good roots, his wholesome qualities are so, his faculties are so sharp that he quickly accomplishes our hotship. He sees through to the source of his mind, wakes up, to the, to the Dharma and becomes a sage, an arhat. He ends birth and death. He transcends the, the triple realm of desire, form, and formlessness. And he says, he takes us through his awakening. He says in the, the how does it go? He says, the sun went down and I entered samadhi. I saw my past lives and I opened my heavenly eye, his deva vision. Uh, just before dawn, I broke through the mass of darkness to the realm of the deathless I did certify. So he wakes up and he's, this is his spiritual autobiography as he, he wakes up. So the next scene is he's now in Arhat and he gets a visit. Who comes to see him? Brahma and Chakra, the two kings of the Lords of the gods, the kings of the gods, come to pay their respects to this brand new sage. And they're shedding light from their bodies the way gods do. And they put their palms together and salute him, the former untouchable. And they say, 
Homage to you, O thoroughbred of humans. Homage to you, human supreme. Uh, your afflictions have ended. All your sufferings are over. You, sir, are worthy of offerings. They say, and that's one of the titles of a of an arhat is one who is ingong. He's worthy of offerings. And so the, the last scene of the of the poem is from the Buddha's perspective. Upon seeing me, venerated by the devas, the teacher smiled and he proclaimed, through austerity, celibacy, restraint, and self-control, he's become a Brahman. He is a Brahman supreme. Which is a little bit of a dig at the caste Brahmins. Right? A little bit of social critique there. So he's a Brahman supreme. Not by birth, but by diligence in the Dharma, by cultivation. So there you go. Really powerful story, you know, of Sunita, the, um, the former untouchable, who uh, by working hard accomplishes the, the, the way. To set this in a, an appropriate musical setting, I thought um, West Virginia. <laughs> I was born poor in a lowly family. Father disappeared, there was little to eat. My work was degrading, I gathered withered flowers from the shrines, sold what I could, and threw the rest away. Well, people found me disgusting, and they despised me. They just ignored me. Or they looked away. The pain of rejection hurt as much as the hunger. But I buried my heart and I bowed every day. Then I saw the great hero entering the city, the greatly awakened one with his monks in line, the most supreme of the Magadans, walking like a lotus, pure and refined. Well, I lost all fear. I set down my pole and baskets. I drew near and I offered to bow. And then he, the conqueror of Mara, stopped the line. He stood still out of kindness just for me. After showing reverence at the feet of the teacher, I stood to one side and I said these words, O oh, great sage, supreme, among all beings may I take refuge and leave home with you. The compassionate teacher raised one hand in a blessing with the sound of kindness for all the world. Come, monk, that was my ordination. I crossed over and my whole new life began.
Now I live alone Out here in the mountains I never tire as I cultivate the way Following my teacher's words Just as he taught me With one mind by night and by day As the sun went down I entered Samadhi I saw my past lives And my heavenly eye Just before dawn I broke through The massive darkness To the stage of the deathless I did certify In other words, he woke up. Oh, the night was ending And the sun was returning Indra and Brahma paid their respects to me With the palms together Shining light The way gods do with eloquence They said these words to Oh, homage to you Thoroughbred of humans Homage to you Human supreme Your afflictions have ended Your suffering is over You dear sir Are worthy of offerings Upon seeing me Venerated by the devas The teacher smiled and he proclaimed Through austerity, celibacy, restraint and self-control He's become a Brahmin He is a Brahmin supreme So that's the very first West Virginia Terragata. (laughs) Hope it's not the last. So um, I think that fits the setting to those. These stories are so um, strong medicine, though the women's stories are especially powerful because uh, women from that time in India are by and large voiceless. And the variety of experiences are incredible. There's uh, a former courtesan, a prostitute, who talks about how she used to snare men uh, and delighted in turning them upside down. And now, she says, even if the gods came down, she would be absolutely cool and dispassionate because the root of desire has been cut. And uh, there's a mother of ten who says ten children came through this body and now it's a vessel for the way, for the Dharma. And uh, just the triumph of the Dharma over all these life situations is so powerful. Very lovely. Anyway, so um, I'm working on bringing out more of those songs of the early Buddhist monks and nuns. Um, I want to tell another story about an uh, experience that I had. I did a pilgrimage at one point in my formation as a monk, and uh, the pilgrimage carried me from um, South Pasadena to Ukiah, which is mm, took two years and nine months to get there, because I did a a prostration to the ground every third step all the way up Highway 1, up the Pacific Coast Highway. And uh, traveling that slowly, we I was with another monk, we saw a lot of the coast of California, kind of we're through California's backyard on the 
the extreme western edge of the continent. And uh, do people know Gaviota Pass, which is above Santa Barbara? It's just before Big Sur. Gaviota Pass is a uh, very uh, unsettled. And there's, that's where those oil derricks, those solitary oil derricks, go up and down in Santa Barbara. You know, they're really kind of lonely up there. And it's really hot in the summer. And California had been through its seventh year of drought at that point. And uh, the sun would beat down. And we, we kept bowing. We bowed in all weather. And there's a place near Gaviota Pass where there's only one tree for miles. The manzanitas are real scrubby there, and there's one big tree that offers shade to all kinds of things. And we were going so slowly during July, um, the temperature on the pavement was about 110. And all of the animals during the day took refuge in the shade of that tree. And it was so astounding. You know, you've seen the, uh, the picture called the Peaceable Kingdom, right, where all the animals are gathered together, we saw the Peaceable Kingdom manifest in front of us because it's the only shade. And so here were deer, and respectfully about three feet away were the coyotes. And they were all going, (gasps) in the sun. Their tongues were all going out. Over here were the wild dogs, and across for them were the rabbits, all going, like that, and there were snakes and frogs just all in their own turf around the tree. As long as the sun was up, they were under that tree making it work. <coughs> and I thought, what a lesson for humanity. You know, it's really, we see distinctions. Uh, we can't let that go even when we're burning in the sun of uh, economic disaster and we go look for weapons of mass destruction where there aren't any and and seem to think that we're we're clever that way anyway so the um the family tree was what we saw sitting in the shade of the family tree was what this song became and i'd like to invite you to join me in the chorus if you would it goes like this uh you know what now that i've plugged this guy in i need to get the other guitar It's going to be too high. Sorry. This is down at reasonable range. Here we go. Chorus goes like this. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. That's how it goes. Sitting in the shade of the family tree. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. If you can't get up there, do this. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. Try it. Sitting in the shade of the family tree. Sounds good. Water and earth, wind and fire, roots digging deeper and branches reaching higher. North and south and east and west, all beings are kin to me. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. Try it. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. I got earth in my feet. I've got oceans in my knees. Seven generations live on inside of me. My roots connect the universe. All beings are family. And we're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. Do it again. Sitting in the shade of the family tree. What we do to our planet, we do to our home. 
Planet Earth is our address. Nobody lives alone. Everyone's a neighbor in our Earth community. Cause we're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. Sitting in the shade of the family tree. Earth is home to all of us. Share the crops, don't make a fuss. Eat the food grown in the ground. There's enough to go around. Here we go. I got brothers wearing fur. I got sisters wearing fins. Some with wings, some with tails. Some with pasty skin. I don't eat my family. Come sit here right by me. So we can sit beneath the shade of the family tree. We're all sitting in the shade of the family tree. Now the cook, she calls it omelet, but the chicken called it egg. You may call it drumstick, he called it leg. Every mother loves her children, live and let life be. So we can sit beneath the shade of the family tree. We'll sit beneath the shade of the family tree. Come on and sit beneath the shade of the family tree. There you go. Uh, a new kind of Christmas song. Uh, another story, and then we're done. The story comes from St. Louis, and this was found on um, this was found on Daily Good. It's about the secret Santas. Have you heard about the secret Santas? You know about them? Some people are going, yeah, 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 secret Santas. There was a man in St. Louis named um, Larry Stewart. Larry Stewart had a, um, he was early with cable TV and long distance phone service. So he made millions of dollars. And he was an undercover stealth benefactor. Really like, remember the millionaire? If you nod your head, you're old. Remember the millionaire used to go around? I will now present you with a check for $1 million. An anonymous benefactor. Larry Stewart was a real anonymous benefactor. He would get $100 bills and go all over Seattle, uh, St. Louis and see people and hand them $100 stamped with Secret Santa. And most of the time they wouldn't know. He would find a way to get it to them so they wouldn't know it. Sometimes he would just hand it to them. And before his death in January 2007, he had been doing it for 26 years. He told people for the first time that he had given away $1.3 million in this way to people on the street in $100 denominations. That's what he did. Secret Santa. And he uh, told a friend that he was going to miss this just before he died. And the friend promised uh, Stuart that he would be Secret Santa the next year. Going to carry it on. So uh, uh, the Kansas City Santa, who is anonymous now, said he squeezed my hand and that was that. Um, I honored a promise, says the man, uh, an investor and a businessman. So two Secret Santas, one from Kansas City and the other from St. Louis, came down this year to the thrift stores health clinic, convenience stores, and a small auto repair shop to give away $20,000 in $100 bills. They also gave hugs and words of encouragement to unsuspecting souls in need. And in our economy, those souls are not hard to find. Cynthia Brown, 40 years old, was laid off three weeks ago from her food service job. Santa found her at the St. Louis County Health Clinic and gave her $100, exactly what she had asked to borrow from her mother a night ago to buy food. I have three daughters and I can't get unemployment yet. I was down in food, said Cynthia. 
Leota Burbank, uh, West Frankfurt, Illinois, 50 years old, was at a thrift store Friday to buy decorations for her sister-in-law's room in St. Louis in the hospice where she's dying of pancreatic cancer. Santa gave her the money. Burbank collapsed into his arms and wouldn't stop hugging him. God provides, she says. This is real emotional for me. For the Secret Santas, it's not about honoring Stuart's memory as much as it is the meaning behind his legacy. Um, it's not about the man. It's not about the money. It's about the message, said the Kansas City Secret Santa, who is now alive and well and anonymous. A secret Santa with a kind word, a gesture, and a helping hand. He said the money is given without judgment, but on the condition that the receiver pass along a kindness to someone else. Stewart began his holiday tradition at a restaurant in December 1979 after he had just been fired. He gave a waitress 20 bucks and told her to keep the change and was struck by her gratitude. Stewart also gave money to community causes in Kansas City and to his hometown of Bruce, Mississippi. The Secret Santas want to expand their operation to every state, but so far only nine givers operate in Charlotte, North Carolina, Phoenix, St. Louis, and Kansas City. They plan on to start in Detroit this year. If you want to become a Secret Santa, go to secretsantaworld.net and register anonymously. secretsantaworld.net So there you go. How about that, by golly? I don't think it takes $100 to probably do it with a kind word. Okay. Um, there's a tradition. So we talk, what did we talk about tonight? We talked about do no evil, do good deeds, purify your mind. This is what all Buddhas teach. That's the seven Buddhas of antiquity. Pass on that verse. Each one says the same thing in a different way. It's been collected and gathered, passed on. We talked about giving um, as a kind of uh, uh, there's the season of giving and you can give good deeds, give kindness. And I mentioned uh, acts of kindness, tell the story, and we'll send you music for it, which you can pass on. Tell your kids or teenagers to go there and read the good deeds, read the stories. They're really inspiring. And also check out Daily Good for some cheer when times get hard. And... Uh, then we talked about the three kinds of giving, wealth, courage, and dharma. Karen? Yeah. Yeah. That's because that was your name, right? No, that's another. That's, yeah. Yeah. Does anybody have details about Ambedkar? Anybody studied him? Do you know? He's a contemporary Buddhist in India who has... Um, given the refuges to what are called Dalits, D-A-L-I-T-S. And I don't know his full name, but his last name is Ambedkar. He's considered a contemporary saint. And by doing so, he's pulling people out of uh, millennia or maybe lifetimes of low self-esteem because they've been drummed into their heads that they're untouchables. And by giving them a religious identity, his, his form of Buddhism, many Buddhists are critical of it, saying it's barely Buddhism, but what he's doing to, the, to this sense of identity and empowerment of people who are um, otherwise completely marginalized is incredible. A-M-B-E-D-K-A-R, Ambedkar. Go check him out tonight in Wikipedia. Um, amazing man. And uh, considered very saintly in India. That's that's just the peaks of the waves, but you can find him. I'll I'll do the same. I'd like to know. I would like to know more myself. Ambedkar, A M B E D K A R. That's his last name. Yeah. Um, dedication of merit is a kind of giving. It's giving with the mind. Um, it's our minds touch everywhere. There's no fences between minds. There's no way to keep my thoughts from impacting yours fully, for better or for worse. And so, for better, a kind of giving of Dharma is to take all of the, should you choose to, this is voluntary, of course, take the goodness that comes from gathering with wholesome Dharma friends on 
Christmas Day Eve and uh, um, sharing it. Send it out with a wish. Turn your mind into a kind of a broadcast tower of goodness. In Judaism, it's called tikkun olam. You repair the world. How you do it is up to you. One thought at a time is the means to do it, but what kind of repair you'd like to do is entirely up to you. So let's practice that. Make a wish, um, a personal wish, a social wish, a universal wish. May all beings become Buddhas. May all beings lead a Christ-like life, whatever that might be for you. Um, A social wish might be that wars cease. Um, That impulse in humanity is certainly our our nadir. That's our worst um, habit is to... Uh, mobilized to destroy us as a flaming metal. That's insane. Humanity's fall. Um, it could be a personal wish that Grandma recovers from her uh, depression or that someone close to you uh, regains their balance of good health. Whatever the wish is, it's yours. Please, please make that wish and let's dedicate the merit. As one and radiant light, share the fruits of peace with hearts of goodness, luminous and bright. If people hear and see how hands and hearts can find in giving unity. May their minds awake to great compassion, wisdom, and to joy. May kindness find reward. May all who sorrow leave their grief and pain. May this boundless light Break the darkness of their endless night. Because our hearts are one, this world of pain turns into paradise. May all become compassionate and wise. May all become compassionate and wise. May it be so. See you next week. Have a week full of blessings and wisdom.